Really glad that you're here today uh, as we continue a teaching series that we're calling Fruitful. We launched this series three weeks ago when I had a voice, and uh, so I'm going to try to power through today. Bear with me. Uh, For these few weeks when it's my turn at the podium, we're digging into just two lines of Scripture. They're found in the New Testament, specifically in a book called Galatians, which is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a church in a place called Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. And I often remind you of these details every time we open Scripture just to remind you that these ancient documents were written by real historical people addressed to real people in a real church living in a real city in a real place. So we said a few weeks ago as we were (coughs) introducing this series that what Paul's writing about here in, in his letter to the Galatians is really about life in the kingdom of God. He's explaining to these new believers, and when you think about it, like everybody was a new believer, right? Jesus' vision for his followers was to live in this here but not yet fully here kingdom that he came to introduce with all of its upside down values and all these brand new priorities. And Jesus has called us to live our lives by the values of his kingdom here and now. And if that seems too hard or even impossible, don't be discouraged because Jesus told us it is impossible (laughs) apart from the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. So he promised to send the Holy Spirit, and he did. And when the Holy Spirit arrived in his fullness in Acts 2, he brought with him the ability to live out the kingdom values that Jesus held so dear. Essentially, a whole new way to be human, a whole new way to be with other people, a whole new metric for human flourishing. And that's what Paul is writing about here in Galatians. And I believe if we allow them to, these 22 words will have a significant impact on our lives as individuals, on our households, and on the life of our church moving forward. So let's take a minute to read this passage uh, for the benefit of anyone who's not super familiar and just as a reminder to all of us. So this is the passage we're looking at in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So... Just to kind of review where we've been, we got started on this series a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, and we said a couple things to just lay the groundwork for everything that would follow for us to kind of keep in mind as we work our way through this passage. First of all, we said that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is not a challenge. It's not a to-do list. It's not about you trying to be the best you can be for God. This is about what God can do when we allow His Spirit to work in us. It's a snapshot of what he wants to produce in our lives. Galatians 5 verses 22 and 23 are about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to produce this kind of fruit. And we said that you and I, we don't get to produce the fruit. We don't get to take credit for producing the fruit. But you and I can either help or hinder this growth process in our lives. And we said that the bottom line for this whole teaching throughout this whole series is that this beautiful fruit will be produced in us if we stay connected to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It's not about us trying to make ourselves more loving or more joyful or more peaceful or more patient or more self-controlled. It's not about trying to accomplish these things for God. It's about opening ourselves up and allowing God to work in us. Our challenge is to be sensitive to his leading, 
to his working, to humble ourselves and to surrender ourselves to him, to recognize that we need the spirit of God to do this work in us. And we have to learn to just be quiet enough to listen to the whisper of God, to be still, to be sensitive, to be submitted, to be surrendered to what the Spirit of God wants to accomplish in our lives. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about this first facet of the fruit of the Spirit listed in verse 22. We talked about love. We talked a lot about a word, the word that's translated love in so many places <clears throat> throughout the New Testament, including this passage, the Greek word agape. And we said that agape love <clears throat> requires self-sacrifice. And I know that was a hard teaching. It's not as warm and soft and fuzzy as we would like it to be when we're talking about love. We'd usually just prefer some Valentine card sentiment, you know, on a, and maybe in poem form that makes us feel good. We said that according to Jesus and according to the Apostle John, it's impossible to love God with everything that we are if it doesn't also evidence itself in an increase of our love for other people. And since we were already into some heavy stuff there a couple weeks ago, we just took the next step and we talked about enemy love. That's right, the call of Jesus to love our enemies, the call of Jesus to pray for our enemies, and how difficult it is to continue to withhold love from a person that you're praying for. Like how it's just about impossible to withhold love from some those difficult people in our lives when you're regularly praying for an outpouring of God's goodness into their lives. So we, then we took a few minutes to put this into practice, if you remember, to pray for our neighbors, our friends and family and loved ones, and to pray for our enemies. So that was, that was fun. So this week, we're on to uh, the fruit of joy. So let me just say this as we get started. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. Maybe you're still checking it out. <laughs> You've come at someone's invitation because they promised you lunch. And you're trying to get some questions answered. Maybe you're here for the, for the very first time and you've got more questions than you have answers. There's a good chance that all this talk about the Holy Spirit has you a little freaked out. You're like, what kind of wacky religious stuff is this anyway? Like, what kind of mystical stuff do you people believe? Well, I understand that some of our language can be pretty insider right? Even as much as we try to be aware of that here. But I just want to put you at ease as much as I can here. What we're talking about in this series is essentially the byproduct of God working on, in our inner lives. Like as we, as we live into the way of Jesus, this is the kind of work God is going to do in our lives, in our hearts. And that's when, when that's like the real deal, like it comes out in our behavior in the way that we treat and interact uh, with uh, one another. So here's where this comes from, and it's, it's in this part of the Bible where, uh, that we know as the New Testament, the part of the Bible that's largely centered on Jesus' life and teaching, and then on the early church as it got established around the Mediterranean rim. And a big part of getting the church established was all of this instruction from the apostles through these letters written mostly by the Apostle Paul, including this letter to the Galatians. So I'm just going to throw this back up on the screen, because this, this is what we're going to keep coming back to over and over, Galatians 5. Let me just read this again. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. What kind of fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. <clears throat> and here's what we believe about the work of the Spirit of God. That at the moment we put our faith in Jesus, we are filled with the Spirit of God, what we call the Holy Spirit. 
and more than this being like just an initial moment of our surrender to God, we, that we are, where we are filled with God's Spirit, this is actually just the beginning. This is like the first step in surrendering our every day to God and into the transforming power of His Spirit. And as we continue to learn to surrender each and every day, and as we draw near to God each and every day, the Holy Spirit is continually working and transforming us from the inside out. Like, this is where the metaphor of the fruit of the Spirit comes in. There's something growing spiritually inside of us. There's something that's being produced. Here's something I, I talk about quite a bit. <coughs> when, when we read the Bible, we need to remember that the Bible <clears throat> was written in a different point in human history for a specific group of people. So the imagery and the metaphors that are used might all, not always be like the fir- our first choice for describing different, like, big ideas. But with this metaphor, and I think most of us have enough agricultural understanding to know what a garden is, to understand where fruit comes from, maybe even understand what is helpful or detrimental to fruit growing well. And so what Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit is looking to produce fruit in us, to produce good things in us, to transform us from the inside out, to become the people we were created to be, people who think and act and sound more like Jesus. And understand, we will not be perfect in this life. That's not in the cards for us. We won't always get it right. We won't even always be moving in the right direction. But as we are living our lives in relationship with God, and as we are surrendered to the Holy Spirit, He will produce His fruit in us. In another letter to another group of Christians in the city of Philippi, Paul wrote this. He said, I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. So there are these manifestations, these nine manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit, nine things, nine traits that will begin to be produced in us by the Holy Spirit as we yield to his work in our lives. And they are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So today we're going to look at the second fruit of the Spirit, joy. I wonder, does anyone here, and you can answer this if you like, maybe just raise your hand, does anybody here want to be more joyful. Anybody? The rest of you are as joyful as you could get your brain around, I guess. That's kind of pathetic. So can I just see, like, how many of you would think it'd be nice to be more joyful? Like, just generally speaking, more joyful. Okay, I just want to make sure. So we're all in this together, okay? This is, just, this is the human, yes, for sure you. This is the, uh, I don't know. Uh, he sits there willingly, and he's done it for years. So um, this is part of the human experience, this desire to be more joyful, because that appeals to us. I mean, who doesn't want to be more joyful, right? Joy is something that I guess most of us value and see as important. Maybe you even see it as the most important thing in your life, to be joyful. And it would seem that our joy is important to God as well. But one interesting thing for us to consider about joy is that we often use the word joy and happiness interchangeably, and if you look them up, you'll find them, depending on the definition you're reading, you'll find them technically to be nearly synonymous. But there is a significant gap between how we view happiness, listen, and how God views joy. We're a society, we are people who are obsessed with happiness. 
I mean, as Americans, it goes right to our DNA as a culture. It goes back to our founding documents and the Declaration of Independence, right? And they're trying to articulate the idea of God-given rights and how to preserve those rights, how to ensure that the government isn't infringing on God-given rights, which one could argue isn't technically even a biblical concept, but we won't go there today. We'll probably do that like on the 4th of July or something. But after a couple, after a couple different versions, they finally settled on the phrase, the pursuit of happiness, which begs the question, how do we define happiness? And does the government get to decide what happiness is? Do they get to define happiness for us? Or, oh, every individual then gets to define happy. Or, hey, we're in a democracy. Does the majority get to define happiness? And what happens then when my pursuit of happiness runs up against your pursuit of happiness? So it's an interesting concept, and it's deeply rooted in some very old philosophy, and it's not very clear, and it's not, actually not that helpful when it comes to figuring out how to flourish in a society. But there's no doubt if you ask a lot of people, what's most important to you? Happiness is at or near the top of the list. We want happiness. We want it for ourselves. We want it for the people that we love. We want them to be happy. So for the sake of today's topic, we've got to explore our definition of happiness and joy. So Happiness in and of itself is a good thing, right? It's an inherently positive feeling. But here's the issue. Happiness does not equal joy. Because happiness, as we most often think about it, is dependent on our circumstances. It's, it's an emotion that literally results from a spike in dopamine. That's the hormone that's often called the happy hormone that is produced when we experience something pleasurable or enjoyable. Joy, on the other hand, is about something so much deeper than that. And even though we might say we're looking for happiness, joy is what we're actually after. Joy is what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us. And that doesn't mean we can't or shouldn't or won't be happy along the way too, but our goal in life should not be pursuing happiness. Our goal is pursuing a relationship with Jesus and being transformed by the Holy Spirit as we yield to the power of the Spirit of God. And when we do that, we will experience joy. So if you've been with me so far in this series, we've already spent some time in the gospel of John, in the words of Jesus in John 15, where we find Jesus' imagery of the vine and the branches, and uh, which ties right in with this idea of producing fruit. So I want to jump back in there and read from that passage again, and I think you'll see why. So in John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus is speaking, and he says this, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it'll be granted. When you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as a father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. Listen, 
I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Jesus is explaining for us the process by which <coughs> the, the fruit of the Spirit is produced. And it's, it's a very uncomplicated process. He says, remain in me and I will produce much fruit. Remain in relationship with me and the power by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will bear fruit. Walk with me and the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about in Galatians will become more and more present in your life. And then he says in that final verse, the reason that I've told you these things, the reason I've described how this works is so that you will be filled with my joy. And as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, I don't know that there's a rank of importance or significance to the order of these nine fruit of the Spirit, uh, how they're listed, like some we need more or which ones God desires more or anything like that. But since we know in the Greek language, words of greatest importance are placed near the beginning of a sentence or of a list, I tend to think that because of the way this list reads in Galatians 5 and given that Jesus himself said here in John 15, I believe that joy is actually incredibly important. It's possible if we will remain in him, walk with him, some translations write it, abide in him, that the same joy that filled Jesus can be ours. Jesus knew joy, and his joy can be ours. So I think before we go any further, let's talk about exactly what we mean by joy. The Lexham Theological Workbook defines joy this way as a sense or state of gladness that people experience through their relationship with God and through good things in their lives. So gladness, it's experienced through a relationship with God and then uh, clarifies it a little bit and says that joy is a state of being. It's more a state of being than an emotion. It is a result of a choice. Joy isn't, uh, isn't like happiness, which is based more on happenings, right? It's a shared core word. Whether things are going well or not, right? That's where it affects our happiness. Joy remains, even in the middle of suffering. Joy is not happiness. Joy is the condition of the heart that is acquired by the, the anticipation or the acquisition or even the expectation of something great or wonderful. Like, you can't fake joy, you either have it or you don't. And Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, you've received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. Like joy is associated with the Holy Spirit, that a life of goodness and peace and joy is found in the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 14. Joy is a permanent possession while happiness is fleeting. Joy stays while Happiness comes and goes. Joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God. It's not something we can create by our own efforts. We rejoice because God has delivered us from sin. We rejoice because God is good. God is right. God is just. We rejoice because God invites us to be in his family. Like joy is in the heart, whereas happiness tends to just reside on the face. Joy is of the soul. Happiness is of the moment. Joy transcends where happiness reacts. Joy embraces peace and contentment, waiting to be discovered. Joy runs deep and overflows. Joy is a practice and a behavior. It's deliberate and it's intentional, whereas happiness just comes and goes along the way. Like joy is profound and it's scriptural. It says, don't worry, rejoice. 
where happiness is like this temporary solution, don't worry, be happy. Joy is an inner heart condition where happiness is an outward expression. Joy endures hardship and trials and connects with the meaning and purpose behind them. Like we pursue happiness, but we choose joy. Experiencing happiness depends on external factors. Like happiness happens to us. And even though we may seek it and desire it and pursue it, etc., feeling happiness is not a choice we make. Joy, on the other hand, is a choice purposefully made. Like happiness doesn't bring joy, and joy isn't the byproduct of happiness. Joy is something grander than happiness. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And when we find joy, it's infused with comfort, listen, and it's wrapped in peace. Joy is infused with comfort and it's wrapped in peace. It's an attitude of the heart and spirit, often synonymous with, but not limited to following Jesus and pursuing a Christian life. I think understanding the differences between happiness and joy has a greater purpose than just being, you know, fodder for an intellectual debate, which can be fun. But the distinctions between happiness and joy have so many real world applications. Because, like, joy can overcome. Anything and everything in this world, if it's allowed, like if it's chosen. In choosing joy, there's hope. With joy, hardship offers growth and opportunity. With joy, self-esteem and self-respect are indestructible. Psalm 30 says, you've turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You've taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy. So why does walking with and abiding in the Spirit actually result in joy? Is it just a matter of, well, you signed up for this, this is what you get? You know, hang out with Jesus, you're going to get joy? Come on down if you're looking for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, whatever in your life. Spend 30 minutes with God every day and it's all yours. Is that what this is? Is it just some like transactional exchange that over time we might even figure out, you know, how to manipulate it so we can get more of what? More of whichever fruit? You know, what is actually happening here? As I've studied this idea of joy over the last few weeks, one thing I've noticed in everything that I've read is that joy, everybody seems to land here consistently. Joy is a result of gratitude. It seems to be pretty widely accepted and acknowledged that the more grateful we are, the more joyful we will be. The more grateful we are for what we have, for who we know and love, for what we've been through, the more joyful we will be. So we, be, we become grateful when something of value is given to us, but this thing of value has to be truly given. It's not something you pay for or that you can earn. It's not something that you've worked for or made an exchange to receive. Gratitude comes from the realization that something of value has been freely given to you. And this gratitude isn't just for us to experience once in a while, but our aim should be to pursue grateful living, lives that are characterized by gratitude. So think about this. The more grateful we are, the more joyful we will be. The more grateful and more joyful people we are, the more grateful and joyful a world we can live in. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul encourages us to be thankful in all of our circumstances, including this present moment. The opportunity opportunity presented in every new moment we are given. 
He says it's a gift that's freely given that we did nothing to earn, and it's a reason for us always to be grateful and always to be joyful. Then if you just take it a step further, like more fundamental and sure and unchanging than the gift of a pres- this present moment, for every follower of Jesus is the gift of our salvation. Like true joy is rooted in in gratitude for the gift of our salvation, the gift of being saved from what we deserve in light of our sin and being offered instead eternal life through Jesus who paid the price for our sin on the cross and the gift of restored relationship with our heavenly father. Now we understand salvation as having three separate uh, dimensions, justification, sanctification, glorification. Those three words are used to describe the Christian journey from new birth to resurrection. We are, we are justified or we're declared righteous by God at the moment of our salvation. Sanctification is the process by which Christians are made holy. And glorification comes when we stand before God uh, faultless because of the redemptive work of Christ. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Makes me think of some uh, teaching that happens right over there in Surge on the other side of that lighthouse in our Sunday morning environments for ages six to nine. So if you wonder what's happening over there, I'm going to give you a peek. For years now, we've used an incredible curriculum that's called What's in the Bible? And so uh, they teach on this, and I actually wanted to play this for you. Here's what Phil and his friends, how they explain the work of the Spirit. Watch this. So which fruit did you choose? Apples or oranges or grapefruit? Just kidding. The fruit of the Spirit is amazing. You will be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if I decide to follow Jesus and I put my faith in him and what he did on the cross, I'll wake up the next morning and I'll be just like him. Perfectly loving, perfectly joyful, perfectly kind, right? Eh... Not quite. What do you mean, not quite? That's what you said would happen. You said we become like Jesus. Yes, you'll become like Jesus, but not all at once. It takes time. How much time? Like a week? It'll take the rest of your life. That's a long time. You see, Jesus is perfect because he's God. We can't be perfect because we aren't God but we can become more and more like Jesus every day. It's a process and it has a special name. Sunday school lady? It's a really great word. Sanctification. Say it with me. Sanctification. Sanctification, I love it. What is it? Just as the word justification means to justify, the word sanctification means to sanctify. But I don't know what sanctify means. I wasn't finished. Sanctify means to make holy or to free from sin. Remember when we said God wants to save us from the stain of sin? That's justification. We get a new label. In God's eyes, we become righteous. But we also said God wants to save us from the power of sin. So sin no longer has control over us, no longer whispers in our ears. We become more like Jesus. That's sanctification. Amazing! Sanctification! Becoming more like Jesus every day! But, um, how does it work? I mean, do we have to do anything or does it just happen? Good question. We do need to do something, but it's really quite simple. We need to walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Right. And how do we do that exactly? A lot of people think being a Christian means focusing on rules and trying to be good. But being a Christian doesn't mean focusing on God's rules. 
it means focusing on God. When we focus on God, when we walk with Jesus, the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. We become more loving, more kind, more joyful, not because we're supposed to, but because we want to. Here's what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ. You know you're sinful. That's the label you've earned. But you've been justified, given a new label as a free gift from God by believing in Jesus and what he did on the cross. Now that you've been justified, you can be sanctified, a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus every day. As we become more like Jesus, God uses us to bring about his kingdom, to bring beauty, justice, love, kindness to a broken world. We get to play a part in restoring God's creation, bringing the kingdom of God to life and inviting others to be a part of it. I, th I think this curriculum is one of the most effective volunteer recruiting tools that we have. So if you want to learn more about the Bible and its role in our lives, while also building some meaningful relationships with some awesome kids, talk with Alethea, talk with Sue Layton, who's back there, back there. You talk to me. Uh, we would love to, to talk with you about getting involved in Surge. I know every one of our team members who served through any, for any amount of time and been all the way through what's in the Bible at least once can tell you they've learned some things that they never knew before. So anyway, thank you to Phil and Buck and Sunday School ladies, especially, and everybody else. We're talking about the role of the Spirit in our salvation, in our justification, in our sanctification. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit really is. It's evidence of the process of us becoming more like Jesus. It's evidence that that process is actually happening in our lives. And while we're considering how the Holy Spirit produces fruit in us, it's significant to note that the Holy Spirit reminds us of what has already been done that in Jesus we have been justified. And one of the things that those of us who follow Jesus can expect from the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is for the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth, to illuminate, to make clear what Jesus taught, what he modeled, what the, what the apostles taught in their writings as the church was established. So if we're leaning into the Holy Spirit, he's going to be constantly leading us to the truth reminding us of what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. And the work of the Holy Spirit is dynamic. It's active in the present. The Holy Spirit isn't just, isn't just a flashing arrow pointing back towards the cross and the empty grave, although he does that. The Holy Spirit is actively at work within us. That's sanctification. It's the process that's described in John 15. It's the process by which fruit is produced in our lives as we lean into our relationship with God, as we direct our attention and our affection towards God. And as we do this, our former self-centered thoughts and habits and behaviors and tendencies begin to be stripped away by the Holy Spirit and replaced with Christ-likeness. That's the pruning that's described in John 15. And along the way in this process in our lives, what is being produced is fruit, the fruit of the Spirit of God. The desired end, the, like the ultimate goal of our sanctification is that we would become more and more like Jesus. The aim of the Spirit at work within us is not just that we would be more loving or more joyful or more patient. That's part of the process, but it isn't the desired end. The purpose is that we would be becoming more like Jesus. 
Then that third dimension of our salvation, that glorification, isn't a term we use very much. But in theology, it's how we describe this idea that although we're in the process of sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus, we will not truly be like him until our time on earth is finished and we stand before him face to face. That's glorification. And the Holy Spirit is our assurance of this whole process. Ephesians 1, Paul says, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit, of God is, the Spirit is God's guarantee that he'll give us the inheritance he promised and that he's purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Like the Holy Spirit in our lives is like the receipt, right? Or the guarantee of the undeserved gift that we have received. The proof to us and the proof to those around us as we bear the fruit of the Spirit that we belong to Jesus. We can be assured that one day we will be with him and the work of the Holy Spirit, has, has, that the Holy Spirit began in us is then complete. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul says, all of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there'll be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. He says that this grace may cause gratitude to overflow to the glory of God. Grace is an undeserved gift. Grace leads to gratitude and gratitude gives way to joy. So God wants us to understand the grace that he's shown us the grace that defines who we are as people, if you've put our faith in Jesus, it's a gift unlike any other. It's more than fleeting, elusive hits of dopamine-producing happiness, happiness that leaves us coming back for more. This is joy that's rooted in this reality of what Jesus has done and that the Holy Spirit continues to work in us. So I just want to land here by kind of reiterating how we become more joyful. What's our next step? One thing that I, I hope we'll walk away with today is that our goal today and our goal for this series is not just more joy, like be more joyful. It's to be more like Jesus. But joy is found in Jesus. And Jesus is the source of the fruit of the Spirit. He is the vine. We are the branches. If we'll abide in Him, if we remain in Him, then by the power of the Spirit working in us, His fruit will be produced in us and joy is included in that. So our goal is not just more joy, but more Jesus. And as we abide in Jesus, as we stay connected to Jesus, who is the vine, the source of the fruit, we will find joy. So we make space for God. So start where you are. Dedicate some time to being with God in prayer and reading his word. If you don't know where to start, I would just say, feel free to reach out to me by email. There's my email address. Uh, we would love to come alongside you and help you get started. Second thing that I would hope we'll walk away with today is that our joy comes from gratitude. And gratitude ought to drive us to serve one another. You go back to John 15 where Jesus talks about being the vine and we are the branches. And the very next verse where we left off says, you'll be filled with my joy. Your joy will overflow. Now this is my commandment. Love each other the same way I've loved you. Because see, Jesus was not about himself, even though he came to earth as God in the flesh. Like he came with all authority, with all the power of the creator. He could have made it all about himself, but he was about serving you and me putting our need for redemption from sin and restoration with the Father above everything else. So I hope that we can see and hold at the center that our goal is not just that we would be happier, nicer, more patient, kinder people. This is not a self-improvement project. It's not self-help. It's not, you know, 23 steps to becoming a happier person. This is the gospel. 
And the rhythm of the gospel is come and see, go and tell. Come and see what Christ has done for me and go and tell what Christ can do for you. Come and see the cross and what Jesus did there. Go and tell that Jesus has defeated sin and death. Come and see that Jesus has risen and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and go and tell of the good news that this is the inheritance for every child of God and it can be yours. What God has invited each of us into by surrendering to what he wants to do in us, by the power of the Holy Spirit and joining him in what he wants to do through us so that our, our loved ones and our neighbors and our coworkers and people throughout, all throughout our communities might be welcomed and find life and joy in Jesus. So let me just say, if you're here today and you need to take that first step, like that step for the very first time, like today you've come and seen. You've seen Jesus for who he is and you're ready to take the next step. Listen, no matter where you are, who you are, what you've done, where you've been, by the grace of God, salvation's available for you today. And when you accept the gift of salvation that Jesus offers, when you receive this incredible gift of redemption from sin and a restored relationship with your heavenly Father who loves you, you will experience grace that results in never-ending gratitude that gives way to joy overflowing. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, give us clarity on what you've done on our behalf. Help us to see it. Help us to understand or be reminded of it today by your Spirit. God, there are no words that are adequate to say thank you for what you've done. But for those of us who stepped into a relationship with you, we, we are grateful. When we're looking for joy, when we're looking for happiness, remind us that we need to look to you, and looking to you, we will find joy. And for anyone in this room who hasn't stepped into a relationship with you, I pray that they'd respond to your invitation today. I ask that you cut through the noise, cut through the clutter, help them to see how freely available the gift of salvation is for them. In fact, while we're in a posture of prayer here for just a moment, let me just talk with you. For those of you maybe find yourself ready today to begin to experience this rich and satisfying life that Jesus offers. If you're here this morning and you're at that point, I want to give you a chance to have a moment in time. I want to give you a chance to make the decision to place all of your faith and all your trust in Christ's death on the cross as the payment for your sin. And so I just want to lead you in a prayer. And this prayer doesn't make you a Christian. Prayer is just a way that we express our decision to put our faith in Jesus. So I want to lead you in a prayer. And you can pray this with me silently right where you are. You can change the words, use your own words, say something like this. Lord, I believe that I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus came to be my Savior. I believe that when he died, he died for my sin. And I believe that I can have a right standing with you through what he did. I'm putting all of my faith in who Jesus is and what he did on my behalf. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sin. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. I accept your gift of eternal life and I pray this in Jesus' name. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer with me just now or if you're at some point some kind of a spiritual decision, I'd love for you to take a minute, fill out a connect card that's in a seat back near you, leave it in an offering box or bring it to me after the service and I'd love to have a minute to talk with you. Heavenly Father, thank you 
for bringing us along in this process, this lifelong journey of being transformed by your spirit to become more like you, Jesus. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.